Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 94, Kubuntu 13.04, recorded May 13th, 2013, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. All right, so last week, we pounded on Ubuntu 13.04, and really, we pounded on Unity. So Chris thought let's yeah. let's give some uh, some equal time some some fair and balanced reporting, and let's have a look at um, Kubuntu. So uh, here we go. I thought it was fair, you know. Yeah. So if Why all not? of our complaints are about Unity, let's talk about a distro that doesn't have Unity on it. Exactly. So it sounds reasonable. So here we go. And also, it was easy. Let's let's. <laughs> So uh, with me, I'm Mark, and with me is is just the one. Only one side is represented tonight. The the command line godfather, Mr. Chris Neves, is here. Hi, Christopher. Good evening, everyone. I hope everyone had a wonderful day or is having a wonderful day or night or wherever you may be when listening to this. So the gooey kid uh, started a new job recently, and uh, he uh, we're recording on Monday night rather than our regular Sunday night. Those of you not in the U.S. don't know this, but last night, uh, Sunday night, was Mother's Day here in the U.S., um, and podcasting plus Mother's Day equals divorce. Uh, so since uh, Chris and I <laughs> Twice both over. like being married, uh, we didn't do a show last night. We were going to do the show Saturday instead, do it early, uh, but Seth uh, got the... He started his new job, and they said, oh, by the way, we need you on a plane Sunday morning. Uh, you're headed out to a secret military base in Wyoming. <laughs> no, I don't know. Um, and so he's gone, and he's he can't be with us tonight, so we will be gooey I will try to represent the gooey kid as best I can. Um, he did uh, jump in the uh, the notes there for us and and bring us a bevy of tech news as he is wants to do. Uh, of course, usually the way I do it is uh, I read the headline just enough to be able to throw an intro, and I give it to Seth, and he talks about the article. So tonight, I don't have anybody to throw it to, so I'm going to be fumbling my way <laughs> through some of these articles. Uh, I read some of them, Chris read some of them, uh, but let's just say the gooey kid will be missed. Very much so. Seth, we miss you. I hope you had safe travels. So, uh, Chris, anything interesting or unique or worthwhile going on in your life these days? Well, uh, the in-laws decided to come up to visit, so my house has been entertaining, to say the least, because my daughter and my son haven't seen them for a while. So it's been quite a quite an interesting ordeal around my place lately. And where, where do the in-laws my... live ordinarily? Arizona. Oh, that is quite a trek then. Yeah, yeah, they, it's 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 a pretty special thing for them to come up and visit us. So it was nice to have them come. Uh, they're going to be here for a few more days, and I'm, I'm going to be a little sad to see them go. <laughs> so did they uh, come up um, from the desert of Arizona to uh, one of your famous Southern Canada blizzards? No, actually, they missed that by about a week. <laughs> um, we are currently experiencing a nice warm front as of 92 degrees when I came home today from work. So it's a little toasty wow. around here right now. You guys don't mess around up there. It's one or the other. It, yep. Two sides of the coin. It's either 20 below or it's 100 degrees. There is no in between. 
So there's a website called Everyday Linux User. I haven't sued them yet. Uh, but they posted uh, a survey sometime back that said, which Linux distribution would you save? And the results are in. Chris, what the heck is this all about? Well, it looks like it's obviously they're asking for what if you're to just nuke all the other ones and who would you keep? It's kind of entertaining to see how the the people all said it was like uh, there were only three. They're all there were only 362 votes casted, so I'm, <laughs> it's going to be a little skewed. That, that's kind of sad. People. As is everything in the Linux world, Linux is a little skewed. I know, but that's extremely skewed. Uh, but. You know, I wish they would have picked better colors because it's really hard to tell which right, one. Right? Yeah, is. You, there's this big bar graph, um, and and of course the link will be in the show notes, and and you can see it. But there's this bar graph, and the colors are blue, uh, aquamarine, marine, teal, light blue, dark blue, sky blue. Um, <laughs> it's kind of hard to tell what the heck they're talking about. I'm guessing the order on the right is the order of which distribution to save. That sounds reasonable. That's the only thing I can guess. It's interesting though that. Debian was the number one, um, with over two hundred votes. Well, it goes, uh, it goes Debian, Ubuntu, Mint, Arch, Fedora, OpenSUSE. If you take away Debian, you lose Ubuntu and Mint. So, uh, I guess yep. it's reasonable that it's got to be there. The next one is Arch. Um, the Arch supporters, the Archies, are out in full force in this one. They are. I kind of find it interesting that there is such a number for Canopics. Or Nopix, however you want to pronounce Nopix. that. Mark Nopper, Nopix. Yeah, yeah. That that's one of my first go to distros whenever I'm doing anything. So that's interesting. And even Fedora or Feduntu made a made it onto the charts. So you know that's that's kind of entertaining to see that it's going to be missed a little bit. Uh, our old friend Richard is in the chat room tonight for the first time. He's uh, <laughs> I was going to use a pejorative term he's from the uk and uh he's uh he's staying up late so he asks how many votes did you cast chris how many of those four door votes are yours i can honestly say zero i didn't know this particular poll was being done Otherwise, I would have been pumping my Fedora numbers as best I could. <laughs> I would have written a Perl script to t- to tell that right into the server and and vote infinitely <laughs> for Fedora. Well, I don't know if I would have gone that deep. That's pretty intense there, but you know, maybe one or two. I do have two separate IPs that I could hit from. So, and I don't know why my impression of Geek Chris doesn't have any teeth. I just it's <laughs> it's what I went with at the time. So a Windows coder, I kind of I kind of think this is bogus, frankly. But at Zoranak.com, we have a a Windows coder that says I contribute code to the Windows kernel, and we are slower than other operating systems. And here is why. Actually, this is a a linked to article from one of the other posts, one of the other news articles we have. Mark, is it okay? Well, you, yeah, you so put it up is, there uh, in the notes, so I just went with it. Oh, well, I didn't put this yeah. one. I put the one that's actually linked over on, and I can't find the one I used. <laughs> is it ZDNet? I don't know. So it, it's this must be the dude's blog, our first link here, and it was re- relinked at ZDNet. Oh, his post has been that, deleted. That's what it says. It's an anonymous blogger posting through Tor. Uh, for obvious yep. reasons, uh, and he posted a, ha- uh, a an SHA one 
hash of a revision of code, yada, yada. Uh, basically, geek talk for I am who I say I am, and I'm posting anonymously, right. but it's been deleted. Who knows why? Uh, but basically, he <laughs> says, yeah, we know Windows sucks, um, and even those of us who work on Windows know it sucks. <laughs> Not really. That's just well, and it, a lot of it goes, yeah. Well, and a lot of it says like, you know, we know it's hard to work on things, and it's uh, there's been a lot of rip and replace instead of actual improvements. Example: PowerShell. Um, so it's just interesting to see that there's that they're having a hard time keeping software developers over at Microsoft because obviously Google and all the other people are sucking them away. But it's interesting to see that. You know, here's somebody who worked in the trenches and actually gives a pretty detailed account of what happens inside of Redmond. The uh, final synopsis, he says, look, Microsoft still has some old-fashioned, hardcore, talented developers who can code circles around programmers down in the valley. These people have a keen appreciation of the complexity of, of operating system development and an eye for good, clean design. The NT kernel is still much better than Linux in some ways. I'm not even going to read that next section, but our good people keep retiring <laughs> or moving to other large technology companies, and there are few new people achieving the level of technical virtuosity needed to replace the people who leave. We fill the headcount with nine to five kid types desperate to please the bosses, and Google rejects. We occasionally get good people anyway, as if by mistake, but not enough. Is it any wonder we're falling behind? The rot has already set in. So clearly this is an old guy um, who thinks yep. all anybody under the age of 40 doesn't know how to code. Um, anyway, it's an interesting read. Go check it out. I'm not going to give you yep. more time than that. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't. it's not really worth much more than that, but it was an interesting read into some of the background of the code. So I've mentioned uh, on the show once or twice about my experimentation with coffee. The uh, the the yes the cold brew yes. extracted thing. Well, I th this is funny. I'm still like I said. Once I have the process where I'm fairly confident in it, I will open source that knowledge, um, complete with uh, schematics of my rig and all that sort of stuff. I'm still refining it right now. But one of the things that I've been working on is how to extract the the full ooey gooey goodness out of a coffee bean. Um, in a in a timely fashion, without um, getting all the nasty bits. So, like if you if you put it in a coffee press and press it, which is very common, espresso is for all intents and purposes a, a really fancy coffee press. You squeeze out the bitters and the stuff I don't like about coffee. Um, so you need a, a a gentle extraction. But you know, if you just let gravity do it, if you've got some really fine ground beans and you just try to pour it through a filter and let gravity do it, you'll evaporate before you actually get stuff out. So I turned to <laughs> suction, to vacuum suction. And I started with a what's called a Venturi aspirator. The water goes in one side, the, the movement of the water through the, the one side pulls air through the other side, it creates a vacuum. It was working fairly well with coarse ground coffee, but when I tried like an espresso grind, a really uh, firm grind, um, I started it and 15 hours later gave up on it because there was still water in the ground, it still wasn't working, and I just knew this wasn't gonna work. So I had a Tim huh, the Toolman nice. Taylor moment and thought, wonder what'll happen if I hook my seven and a half horsepower shop vac up to that son of a gun. 
Ooh, uh, uh, more power. And you know what? It was the best <laughs> coffee I've made yet. So, uh, <laughs> awesome. So, that is awesome. So Mark. my my rig now consists of a laboratory grade Buchner funnel, a vacuum flask, and a shop vac. <laughs> nice. That's what you call backyard engineering. Uh, but it works. It works really well. Uh, and just this week, I did some Kona. Some, uh, those of you who are coffee snobs will know the term Peaberry Kona. Kona is uh, coffee. It's a region, actually, of Hawaii. And it's only about 14 square miles. It's the only place in the world where this type of, of coffee can be grown. It's still the same beans. It's Arabica beans. But it's because of the freak of nature that is the Hawaiian Islands. Uh, this 14-square-mile area... Uh, makes some of the best coffee, so they say. And Peaberry is the highest grade of the highest grade coffee. Uh, so I found a, a small distributor um, in Hawaii that sell Bob and Sia Smith that sell right out of their living room. I think that's awesome. And uh, even that is yeah. And, and it, the the it was four. It's thirty dollars a pound. That's expensive. And then it costs about eight dollars to ship it to me. So all all said and done, is about forty bucks. Um, and out of that, I get um, maybe 16 cups of coffee. So it, it works out to be about a buck 60 or so, pardon me as I play with my mic, per cup of coffee. So it's expensive. It's not something I'm going to do all the time. But I have to say, the results were fantabulous. So awesome. Kona coffee, good I'm stuff. Um, really significant caffeine kick. Anyway, that's my coffee talk. For the show, and and Richard well, has well. accosted me uh, saying we haven't talked about bacon enough lately. <gasps> and I'm I'm sorry, it's just my uh, my experimentation right now is not in the meat arena, it's in the coffee arena. But it'll be back. Trust me, it'll be back. Oh, yeah, it's barbecue season. Yes. So so uh, when are you going to send me my sampler? <laughs> um, well, the problem is um, I keep drinking it all the myself. Overnight shipping. I keep drinking oh, it all oh. myself. I can't make enough for my own habit and share it with you. <laughs> That's funny. Typical and yeah. funny at the same yeah. time. So, so like I said, I, I, I can only make about 15 cups worth of coffee every six days or so. Uh, so if I have a cup of coffee every day and my wife has a cup of coffee every day, we're pretty much burning through it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Then I guess you have to go bigger. Yeah, I'm going to have to figure something out. Uh, you're not getting the Kona. Sorry. <laughs> I will send you some, some Juan Valdez or something there. <laughs> I'm crying. Not really. Actually, I found that the, just the, the cheap Colombian is one of my favorites. It's just that, you know, I'm not a coffee guy. I'm really not. And this process produces coffee that tastes very different than any that I've ever had. Uh, so you know, I, oh. I like this coffee where I haven't liked coffee in the past. But really, it's the the so far the Colombian is like my second favorite. The Kona is the is the top, but it's super expensive. But other than that, just like the grocery store Colombian is really good. Cool. So anyway. that'll be interesting to get a whirl at it one of these days. So I will get uh, letters. I'm sure email letters. Who gets letters anymore? I'll get email saying stop talking about coffee so much. But hey, you get what you get. Yeah, coffee's coffee, bacon's bacon. I'm going to experiment with barbecuing bacon here soon. Barbecue, smoked f- bacon, smoking it? No, 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 no. Just throwing it, slapping it right on the oh, grill. You mean grilling? Yes. 
No, well, I use I use wood and, and briquettes. I don't use natural gas or propane. Yeah, if it's high so heat, it's, short term, that's not barbecue. That's grilling. Nope. No, it's it'd be long term. Okay. Medium heat. So, uh, and all Something those, uh, like all the times in history where we've looked to New Zealand to lead the charge in in uh, the great advancements. Okay. Sorry, I can't think of any of those. I'm sure there must yeah, have been I can't one either. somewhere. Somewhere <laughs> along the line, New Zealand must have... St- Hobbit movies. They lead the world there you go. in Hobbit movies. That, that's it. Lord of the Rings. Bingo. <laughs> but right now, let me tell you, my hat is off to New Zealand because the, the official government, the Commerce Ministry, has said, as of this moment on, software is no longer patentable in New Zealand. Awesome. That's a good movement there. So there's I hope all, there's, it comes all over. There's been all kinds of, you know, sort of nebulous, you know, uh, an idea has to be novel. That's uh, I think that's the US word. Um non-obvious I think is the word uh to get a patent, but uh um New Zealand has just said, "No, if it's software, it's not patentable." End of discussion. Uh I I hope this catches on. I really do. I don't think it will. Um yeah, well, we can hope. It never hurts to hope. Now, now, don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that people who make software shouldn't be able to can have some control over it. That's copyright. There's a difference between a patent and a copyright. So you can copyright your ideas, but copyrights last a shorter amount of time, and it's it's about the specific, you know, uh, intellectual property. A patent is all the the garbage the 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 bad stuff that's being used misused in law uh, courtrooms around the the world so the 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 uh you can still copyright i'm guessing it doesn't say in this article but you can still copyright um uh ideas in new zealand but you can't patent software and uh, i say huzzah to the country the continent the whatever subcontinent i think it is of new zealand um <laughs> Great I idea. gives it a good clap, but I can't do it loud because Mark would shoot me. <laughs> yeah, R- Richard in the chat room says it's not going to happen in the UK or the US. <sighs> You're probably right, but we can quit hope. popping our butt, our bubbles. We can hope. quit it. Quit it, Richard. I like my bubble the way it is. Quit popping it. But you know what that means is all the the pirate bay will move to New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So Facebook Pirates Unite. <laughs> Facebook has decided they're going to try something new and it's called open source networking gear. That's I'm doing a bad job of this. See again, this is where um Seth would be good. Yeah, but, I didn't but read the, this the, one the quote at all, so. the quote from a, a an engineer at Facebook or somebody, a Frank Frankovsky. Really? Frank Frankovsky? I guess if your last name is Frank you're going to be Frankovsky, right? It's like if your last name is Nichols, your nickname is going to be Nick. It's a given. Uh, So anyway, he says, we aim to produce an OS agnostic open source switch that can be treated just like a bare metal server when it comes on the network. So they're looking at open sourcing some hardware. Obviously, um, um, Facebook is invested in hardware. They have you know, probably billions, maybe hundreds of billions of dollars in infrastructure. And and in the same way that Google sort of likes to scratch his own itch when and, and open source things so that they can use them, Facebook is kind of going the same way and saying that we want to design our own network switch 
with an with a an OS agnostic platform. I don't really know what that means. Uh, all switches have to run some sort of OS, uh, but yeah. this is looking like you know it wants to be something, um, you know, built into the hardware that'll run kind of anywhere. I don't know. That's interesting. You know, that it's one of those things that. Um, I always thought most switches run an agnostic software anyway. Well, actually, you know, a lot of switches of those... run the proprietary uh, Cisco environment. Um, so, no, there's huh. nothing agnostic about those. Well, yeah, but they're still running. You know, like, if you have a dumb switch, you know, that doesn't have any management capabilities, I don't see why that would be any different than what they're doing. So, I mean, if you're, if you're not... If you're just a regular home user, you, you probably don't know what we're talking about. We're not talking about the the little uh, thing that you bought to plug into your cable router. Yes, technically that is a switch. But when you talk about enterprise-grade switches, these things are big, massive beasts that route you know terabits of traffic uh, at a time over yeah. a, you know a fiber backbone and that sort of thing. And they all they boot up. I mean, they're computers with lots of ports in them, and and there's a there's a whole embedded OS in them. And uh, Big Switch yep. Networks is already offering a, a generic switch operating system that lets you manage the hardware with open source protocol called OpenFlow. But the Facebook project will go even farther, embracing any OS. So they're going to say that our device can be managed from any OS using, uh, I don't know, probably open protocols like HTTP, things like that. So it'll be interesting to see what telnet. happens. It'll be interesting to find out. So in other Facebook news, Facebook released the Facebook Home app and the world yawned. <laughs> Go figure. That's probably one of the silliest things I've ever saw them release. I was like, really? Facebook Home? That doesn't make, you know, I didn't understand the person for, the way for it personally. Have you seen the uh, the ads for the Facebook phone with the guy getting on a plane and like weird people the weird tuba music and people popping out of luggage bins it's just odd uh-uh i haven't seen it at all but you're not missing it. i would say i don't watch much tv so that that's not i don't know i just can't answer that one faithfully then so salon.com in uh in very unbiased and even-handed writing says the reviews are in facebook home mark zuckerberg's grandiose stab at totally controlling our mobile experience is an unmitigated disaster I mean, clearly, that sounds even-handed and uh, unbiased to me. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> it goes on to say that on Wednesday, AT&T announced it was dropping the price of the first HTC, uh, excuse me, the HTC First smartphone, which comes with Facebook Home, built in from $99 to $0.99. Cents. <laughs> well... That kind of explains that one, then, doesn't it? That is about as close to a 100% drop in price as you can get. A new smartphone, a good smartphone, for $0.99. Ready to go on the shelves at Dollar General. Awesome. I think I should go out and get one and laugh at it. Um, And at that price, I would. Yeah, really? I mean, I would would totally buy one, because I'm sure I can ROM it and put something good on it. Um. Yeah, Firefox OS will probably go on it. I wonder, is it? I can't remember if what OS it runs. It's not Android. It's um, there's something I don't. Know, I'd have to look it up. But uh, 
the idea is it was supposed to be the first sort of the flagship Facebook phone. Um, but nobody cares about it. Nobody wants it. <laughs> it's too late. Too too late to the party. And while we're on the subject of things nobody cares about, the International Space Station no longer cares about Windows. The United Space Alliance has decided to drop, to stop using all Windows computers aboard the International Space Station in favor of Linux. And Debian, to be exact, which doesn't make too much surprise to me. Um, the longevity of Debian kind of proves that factor right there. Their reasoning is to make sure that their systems are, quote, stable and reliable. That stings a bit. <laughs> Just a little bit. So we can't use Windows because we want stable and reliable computers. It's not just the onboard systems, those that can can you know use a commercial OS, but the laptops uh, and the other embedded things are moving from Windows XP, all right, that's a little long in the tooth, to Debian 6. There are already some Linux Which- systems on board, but now they're moving... It says, quote, uh, the, from this point on, Microsoft is banned. I don't have a problem with that. I think that's an awesome thing, personally. And I guess it, it comes back from a 2008, uh, one of the Russian astronauts or cosmonauts or whatever you want to call him, brought a laptop up with him that was infected with a worm. And that... Uh, kind of propagated all over the station. Now uh, they're saying that shouldn't happen with Linux. Well, it's not 100% true, but eh, it works for me. And uh, moving on to other people who are moving to Debian, uh, Google, that has used a custom home-rolled cloud OS has decided, you know what, we're just going to use stock Debian from now on, according to the register.co.uk. The decision to make Debian the default image uh, type for Google Compute Engine was announced by the company on Thursday. As a consequence, Google uh, Google stripped down Linux OS GCEL, the Google Compute Engine uh, Linux, is being deprecated in favor of Debian 6 and 7. So that's a good thing too. I mean, it just goes to prove how powerful and how stable Debian is. If well, Google and how hard it is it to roll handle. your own. I mean, if if the best engineers in the world at Google find that that it's too hard to roll their own, you know, that that tells you something. I wouldn't say roll. It's not too hard to roll your own. It's too hard to keep it up yeah, to, to maintain date, it. Yeah, to maintain, and that's always any of these distros that end up becoming roll your owns. You know, Mint and. Uh, uh, Feduntu, they all prove that fact. It, it's it's the maintenance that causes the problems. It's not ever making it. It's right. keeping it up. The article goes on to say, quote, Google is interested in working with Debian to make the images even more standard and achieve an official Debian image status. The Debian wiki says, quote, in the meantime, Debian has indicated that it's okay with these images being labeled as Debian instead of Debian-based. Cool. That's pretty impressive because 90% of the time, I would say, they always say, you know, Debian-based. So that's that's kind of an interesting flag on that story. And while we're in the, the, the Google zeitgeist, the city of Boston decided, you know what? 
we don't need Microsoft Exchange. Google Google Apps is good enough. So the city's 20,000 users, users uh, will be making the switch to Google Apps. That's kind of cool. That is. Now, as long as they stay you know, with their mission statement of do no evil, that's a good thing. It says uh, the uh, a, a report from the Boston Globe says it will cost Boston around 800000 to move over to Gmail, Google Docs for word processing, and Google's cloud service for storing documents. But by dropping some Microsoft projects, the city government will save at least 280000 a year, which means they're currently paying just over a million dollars for Windows. If it's going to cost them 800000 and it's going to save them 200000 they're paying $1.8 million a year for exchange. In that estimate could be, you know, short. But that's still an impressive savings to say that you're going to be... But that also doesn't say if it's going to be... Uh, if that 800000 is a permanent cost or if that's just the movement cost. Well, it's, uh, you know, you using the Google Apps infrastructure isn't free. So they're, they've got to pay, right, right. I think, 20 bucks a user or something like that. And it's 20,000 users. So, yeah, it's a it's a chunk of change. Well, yeah, but I mean, I would be—I wouldn't be surprised if Google goes, "Well, you got twenty thousand licenses. Let's cut you down from twenty dollars a piece to eighteen. Uh, that I wouldn't surprise. Yeah, I'm me. sure there's a bulk there somewhere, and that would be government level too. So that means they're even lower than that. So a company called rate. Coverity, never heard of them. Last year, op- released a report saying that open source code typically has fewer def- defects per thousand lines of code than proprietary software. Fast forward to this year, the news is even more striking. The following the analyst, uh, analysis of more than 450 million lines of software code uh, through the Coverity's scan service. Coverity's 2012 uh, open source report, which was released Tuesday, concluded that Linux remains the benchmark for quality. Not that it's good, but it's benchmark it's the best it says that it is the official you know their code is the is the cleanest supposedly or what's interesting is there you know being the guy who thinks all numbers are are bogus another way to look at that is linux code is more bloated because it's per it's per thousand lines of code and they're not measuring total defects they're numbering uh, measuring the ratio of defects to lines of code so it could just mean that Linux uses, uh, or open source in general, uses more lines of code to do the same work. That's one way you could see the numbers. Yeah, it all depends on how you do it. But, but since this way, is a Linux even, podcast, I'm going to get excoriated for saying that. But I just wanted to point out that the numbers could be read two different ways. They very well. That's the point. That's the problem with numbers. It's very. It's not. It, there's a lot of gray depending on ratios and stuff of that of that sort. Because I also don't see any ratios for, say, Windows. So you have yeah. no basis of comparison. Well, it's it just says other stuff. You know, they're they're saying open source compared to closed source. So where they get the closed source stuff, you know, they they obviously can't say because it's closed source. But anyway, right. All right, I think that's it for the uh, news segment. I gotta say, it's just not the same without the gooey kid here. We miss you, Seth. No, we struggle through. But uh, but we got it. The fewer wise crap. I'm sad. <laughs> There's something about Monday. We're and I didn't have my coffee. That's probably part of it. Oh, so, there you go. 
So Richard, over. who we've already mentioned a couple of times, who's in the, in the chat room and has been a, a perennial appearer, um, who has made regular appear. He shows up a lot in the uh, the the listener feedback section. Sends us another bit of feedback. He says, "Hi guys, yes, it's me." Chris's worst nightmare. I've just listened to your review ah! of the latest version of Ubuntu, and I feel like I should respond. I've been uh, I've been currently using Ubuntu since version twelve point ten, and on the whole, have been I'm pretty sorry. pleased with it. As you said, there are some issues with Unity, and I have to agree that it's not to everyone's liking. But on the whole, it works pretty well. Yes, it's frustrating at times, but the same can be said of any other desktop environment, as well as Windows and OS ten for that matter. It's still probably one of the most polished and professional distros, which is nice for someone like me who doesn't want to spend their time tweaking their desktop, which is one of the things I hate about KDE. I like XFCE, but again, it does need a fair amount of customizing to get looking like a polished and professional looking desktop. If you go under the hood, Ubuntu works very well, and in a lot of cases, it works a whole lot better than a lot of other distros at present. For example... I installed OpenSUSE 12.3 on my laptop recently, and it refused to install my HP PhotoSmart printer. Yet Ubuntu installed it with no issues whatsoever. There are, however, some things that detract from Ubuntu's shine. These are nothing to do with Ubuntu directly, but with Canonical. Ubuntu One is a very good and versatile cloud storage solution, but its lack of support for other distributions is a major stumbling block when you consider that there are clients for Windows, Mac, iPhone, and Android uh, it's rather pathetic that, and only adds fuel, excuse me, that, I think maybe, the, I don't know, I, I got lost in what I was reading there. Uh, it only, uh, the other major concern is Canonical's decision to move to a more closed development system and its withdrawal from support for, uh, of support for Kubuntu. Is this just me or are we seeing uh, the beginning of Canonical's shift away from community to propriety? I have in the past offended Mark Shuttleworth and Canonical, but now I'm beginning to worry that they're beginning to change things and not for the good. Are we going to see a day that they pull support for the likes of Lubuntu or Xubuntu? I hope not. If I do find an alternative to Ubuntu, I will switch to it, but for now, it looks like I'll be staying put unless you guys help me find an alternative that is not based on Ubuntu. Keep up the good work, and while I remember what has happened on a regular and while I remember, what has happened to the regular bacon slot? As I really miss it. And Chris, where's my challenge? He, he, he. So, yeah, he's got a, a couple of good points in that. In that, uh, But, you know, a lot of the problem I always see is, you know, since Shuttleworth pulled the support for Kubuntu, the Kubuntu releases aren't quite as polished as they used to be. There's still nothing wrong with them, but they're just not as polished, and we'll talk about that later. Um, but again, Canonical is what's going to kill Ubuntu, in my personal opinion. They started it, they they were listening to the, the community, and now they're not. And that's where the problem is in my book. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not all that down on Canonical. They still produce, as long as it's open source, it's still they can't do a lot of harm to it. Right, they're still putting resources right. in there. They're maybe not putting resources where you want them, but everything they do is still open source, so anybody can take it and do what they want. So I'm not worried about them, you know, killing Ubuntu. Somebody will just fork it, like Mint, for example, and right. and we'll you know it'll go on just fine. Where I think they they're just moving more toward the the idea of making an OS that is marketable initially. Ubuntu, this is my paraphrasing, not not overall history. 
Uh, Ubuntu was created to make sure that all South African children had an OS they could afford and they could use and that worked. And yep. over the years, that has morphed to an OS that the world can use and that works. And now it seems to be changing more to an OS that people will buy, that they will pay for support for. So that you yep. can see the things shifting. And I'm not, you know, overly um, critical either way. Uh, you know, there's still the all boats rise when sea level rises. They're still rising the level of all boats in the Linux ocean. Uh, but they just may not be the the champions in shining armor that we once thought they were. Yeah, and I think they're going to aim to be. I think their eventual aim is to knock Red Hat off the su- the support king for Linux. I think that's where the eventual uh, the target is currently. At least that's where it feels like that's where they're going to go. Uh, I, and I, I bet yeah, I can't agree with you on that because they're they're everything so? they're doing, not everything, but so much of what they're doing is alienating the server crowd they're they're going they're making a total play for the mobile market for tablets and for smartphones and i, I don't the think tablet i think they're looking for partnerships you know with with hardware vendors more than they are you know uh, support contracts with enterprises well i think what they're aiming for is the desktop environment in general so like taking over the desktop the the tablet and the the smartphones would be their way into the enterprise by going through the desktop route because their server product, it's basically a stock Debian kernel there. If you're going just, you know, no head, right. Bare bones install, you're basically installing Debian, but if they can get enough people behind them with their tablets and their smartphones and the desktop, as a unit, a unified front that takes care of all. You know, that's the ninety. That's the large majority of an enterprise is the desktop users. So if they have the desktop, they can take over enterprise and leave Red Hat either just on servers or out in the cold in general. So I think Red Hat needs okay. to be paying attention to what Ubuntu is doing because that could cost them contracts in the future. And, and I have and- a. F- uh, Ubuntu is not the first to do it. A lot of people have made that play. Sousa is still trying to make that play. Um, yep. Remember Windows? Uh, you know, <laughs> a lot of people have tried to say we're going to be the enterprise desktop OS, uh, and nobody's managed to do it just yet. Yep. Red Hat's come the closest because they're the way they they're they're the eight hundred pound gorilla. But I have a funny feeling that. In the near future, are they going to? I just de- uh, your your developers and your coders, they're going to point them more towards their their flagship of Ubuntu, and eventually the Zubuntu and Lubuntu people are going to get tagged to come off of their projects and go into the Unity side, and they'll the Lubuntu and Zubuntu people are going to become like what Kubuntu is now, yeah. you know, a community support- sponsored one. Then. And I, I, I'm sorry to see that because the Lubuntu uh, version of uh, – the Lubuntu is an excellent version of LXDE. It's a beautiful interface, and I don't think anyone has done a better job of doing LXDE. And one apparently I forgot to copy into the notes. Um, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't find it right now because I'm – doing this thing called a podcast but somebody posted in the element op forums over at elementop.com go check there and you'll you'll see his uh his 
uh, post and my response to it. I don't ordinarily respond to forum posts on the show. I like to keep the forum in the forum and and uh, you know do emails and things like that on the show. But this this user and I'm sorry I can't remember your name uh, kind of took me to task with part of my review about um, Ubuntu 13.04. He said it takes chutzpah to complain about um, the Amazon partnership that Canonical has and then turn around and flog my own Amazon link uh, and tell you that uh, you should go and buy things there. And I got to say two things. First off, okay, that's a fair point. Secondly, I don't really have an issue with Ubuntu having that partnership with Amazon and making money off of it. I think... I think the more money they can make doing that, the less focus they have to be on making money on the enterprise, and they can be more interested in, in trying to serve the public. I'm not going to say that they will. I'm saying it frees them up to be that. What bothers me about it, though, is it's so poorly implemented. Just it, just my opinion, the way it feels, it's like they took Unity, which was already kind of a pig in a poke, and stuck it on there, and while they were at it, threw in some Amazon linkage that just doesn't look like it belongs there. It's not well integrated. Um, and and maybe some would say that's a feature, that you want to know that you're looking at something sponsored instead of something organic. But it just it just looks to me, I said in, in my response to him on the forum, it reminds me of the Punch the Monkey ads. I just I get that same feeling from it. When I'm installing uh, Ubuntu and I see the Amazon ad come up, or when I'm doing a search... Uh, on my hard drive for something not even related to the internet, I see an Amazon ad pop up. It gives me that same feeling as the punch the monkey ad. It it just makes it, it. It's like, oh, this is so distasteful and not useful. Why would I do this? You're not you're not even serving me a useful ad that that I could benefit from. You're distract you're detracting from the experience, and to lose lose all the way around. And so that's my response to it. Not that they are doing it, but that I don't think they're doing it well. You know, and the only thing I would say against the uh, the fact that the thing that I always have an issue with is the fact that it's on by default. That's my biggest complaint personally. Uh, you have a choice to go to our link and fill in that information. You know, go to elementop.com slash Amazon. That's your choice. By default, though, Ubuntu is taking that choice away from you. And that could be as simple as in the installer having a tick box saying you want Amazon sponsored links in your in your in your search queries. You know that wouldn't be that hard to do, even if the there's a tick box with a defaultly checked. That's fine, but give the user the choice. Don't force it upon people. That's what I always have an issue with. Uh, and it, it was uh, cycle cycle doc. doc. Thanks, Richard. Yep, I just pulled it up in the forum. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, and, and that's fine. I mean, that's his opinion too. But in our opinion. It would be okay if, at least, I don't know, Mark, if you're in the same boat I am, if it was a choice and if everything worked. My biggest issue is not that it's, it, it does feel bolted on and not working properly, but why does not all the links work? If I go to play a video in my Ubuntu street, you know, because I popped open the, the, the lens and I said, yes, I want to watch that video. If they're going to put that there, it needs to work. And right now it doesn't. And that's Amazon's problem, and that's Ubuntu's problem. They need to figure out a way to get that to work so that the, the codec and the DRM is available for everybody. So, yes, it, it is. We have lots. We have big brass ones to ask, evidently, in your opinion. 
for everyone to use our Amazon link, but at least we're giving you that choice to use it and not forcing you to. Yeah, and I'm not going to play it off and say, I don't care if you use our Amazon link or not. No, I want you to. Go do it. It makes me money. Um, <laughs> I have no issue with being a capitalist about that. Uh, and I don't have a problem because Ubuntu, I've, I, went, I went. I went and looked at their website. I thought, have they ever said that they're going to be open and non-proprietary? No. As far as I can tell, that's never a claim that Canonical nor Ubuntu have ever made. They've never said that we're all about openness. They've said that we're uh, committed to helping the open source community, and we recognize that we're building on open source product, and we're going to give back, but they've never said we're not going to make a buck in the process. So I'm not bothered by that, even a little bit. It's fine that they do it. I just wish they would do it better. That's that's really my, yeah. only, my only comment on that. And, you know, maybe things will change down the road when they can uh, when, when they can leverage it a little bit and get something better. But I just think it was, if they're going to put it out there, it needs to work. And right now it doesn't. So why release it? You know, and when you add to that the fact that I was already kind of had a bad taste in my mouth about the whole experience, you know, it, it made me less likely to be inclined to uh, positively toward it. So uh, uh, just another bit of listener feedback. Gordon sends us a heads up, sends us a link uh, to uh, an interesting article uh, in the Tech Republic about uh, what takes kids from innocent to uh, nefarious. You know, what takes them from from ha- uh, curiosity seeking, hey, how does this work, to hacking into banks and doing terrible things. Uh, and I'm not going to summarize the whole article. It's a good article. I, I recommend you go read it. Uh, it'll be obviously in the show notes. I'm pasting it into the to the link right now for those watching live over at uh, elementop.com. You can do that every week. Ordinarily, we record on Sunday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern time. Come check it out. We get all these links firsthand. But it talks about the fact that there are basically four stages of the growth of a hacker. This was a this was a study done where people looked at um, you know people in prison right now and people not in prison and and a hacker and then there's four stages there's the initiation the hmm how does that work phase uh, the growth phase where they're they're just trying to figure things out and they're learning and they're they're gathering all the information they can from everyone else uh, and I said there's four there's only three and then there's the maturation process that's where they go from being hackers to being criminal hackers and the article goes on to suggest that, uh, you know, there's some things that we can do. And, and frankly, their number one recommendation, I think, is stupid. It's a phrase I've said a hundred times. They say a zero, zero tolerance policy is the way to go. The framework calls for a zero tolerance for hacking in schools and early intervention, such as through courses in computer ethics in middle school and high schools, supervised competi- competitions in defending computer security, and organi- organizing computer security services to organizations to strengthen the moral values of students against hacking and channel their interest in computers in a positive direction. My phrase that uh, that I like to throw around is zero tolerance is a hundred percent stupidity. There is no such thing yep. as a as a smart zero tolerance policy. So no, I don't agree with that. I do, however, agree with paying attention. Um, and so Gordon asks a couple questions and makes a, a couple of comments. Uh, he says, uh, I found this article interesting. Since you work in schools, I thought it'd be interesting to hear your take on it, especially how you've handled instances of a student finding, quote, workarounds to security. While the hackers in the article report, they didn't, uh, they think what they, uh, excuse me, while the hackers, hackers in the article report what they think uh, is right and wrong, uh, I guess there may be a disconnect between what they feel is wrong and what the rulemakers feel is wrong. 
If they're willing to break rules on a uh, based on a sense of justice, I suppose many students would perceive it as injustice that they can't access the internet or certain parts of it over school networks and from their personal devices. Uh, perhaps this is generational. My wife is a teacher, and I know one of her issues is students today not understanding why buying an essay on the internet and putting your name on it is wrong. Thanks for the great show. So, Gordon, uh, I married a teacher. I worked in education for 15 years. Uh, Chris is currently in the education world. So, yeah, we see that all the time. And it's not new. Uh, Students have always found that cheating is, you know, they may even think it's wrong, but they just see it as expedient. It's less wrong than the teacher wasting their time. And I've definitely heard kids say, I have a right to X. You know, you're blocking Facebook. I have a right to Facebook. No, kid, you got no rights. <laughs> Let's be honest here. You are in a totalitarian environment. You have no rights. That computer that you're so excited about, you don't own that computer. That network connection that you're so concerned with, you don't own that network connection. That website that you're trying to get to, you don't own the website. None of this is yours, and you have no rights. So I have been totally willing and have said that, made that speech a number of times to people uh you you exist in the realm of of the subordinate you deal with what i get it's a it's a dictatorship if you're lucky it's a benevolent dictatorship if you're unlucky high school is over in four years deal with it however when i see a kid like that um who is circumventing the rules trying to get around i always did two things in fact when i was at uh in in education i had a a standing bounty there was a hundred dollar bill um uh, up for grabs for any student who could show me definitive proof that they had hacked my network. I would pay them to do it for two reasons. One, that helps me find the kids who are, who are A, going to be troublemakers, and B, could be my greatest allies. And two, it helps me shore up my security. If a high school kid can get into something that I think is secure, I want to know about that. And $100 to a 14-year-old is a pretty good enticement. 15 years, nobody ever claimed that $100 bill. Um. So I consider that a good thing, but I encourage them. When I found those kids who were troublemakers, I came in and in fact, uh, one just recently uh, in the last couple of years, I brought him to my office. He was a freshman and I said, uh, we'll say his name was James. I said, James, you're 14 years old, right? He said, no, 15. Okay, 15. You're a freshman. We're toward the end of your freshman year. You've got three more years in the school. There's two ways we can handle this. For the next three years, you can be miserable and I can be on you and watching you and blocking you every turn and making your life suck. Or you can be on my side and we can do some really cool stuff together. You make your choice, but it's not a red pill, blue pill thing. You've got to earn it. So for the next semester, you've got to be a hundred percent above board. If I even hear a rumor that you might have thought about considering the possibility of doing something wrong, it's over. You're dead to me. And the next three years of your life are going to suck. And he thought, you know, considering those two options, I can either take the red pill and see how deep the rabbit hole goes, or I can go back to my, you know, battery cube and, and life will suck. He chose to be one of my protégés. He cleaned up his act he was not only uh, not uh, doing, uh, shall we say, uh, unscrupulous activities anymore. He was actively narking on those who did. I turned him into an informant. Um, and today, he, you know, I'm not there anymore. He still is. He's one of those kids that is on the, the technology 
program and he's working and he's doing cool stuff and i don't they weren't all success stories like that but i actively looked for those people and and just treated them like you know they're not adults but i treated them like adults and said look here are the two choices this is the real world in which you live make your choice and i think if people do that early on it's not quite the zero tolerance thing the article calls for but it's just being you know being level with them and and i think that's beneficial what do you think chris uh, well, I think uh, I, I do the similar thing that you do, Mark. Um, I always try to find those kids, and if I can't turn them to the good side, so to speak, at least educate them on why what they're doing is not a good idea. You know, and a lot of times, you know, you bring up the fact that you know if you're convicted of hacking, it's a felony. Um, it's also expulsion in my district, so it, it's one of those things that when they realize what the penalties are, they reweigh their thoughts of is this really worth going to Facebook in the middle of class. See, I, the other the, thing I was I, lucky that I had the support of my my uh, superiors in that and the staff. We we were in a, a very technology-rich uh, environment, um, a computer on every desk. Every every mm-hmm. lesson uh, involved technology in some way, not, not necessarily revolved around it. And we had a termination of network rights rule. If you deemed it, and there were a couple of people who had sole discretion and uh, to make that decision, we could just say, nope, no computer for you, ever. When the yep. kids are doing PowerPoints, you will have map pencils and construction paper. When the kids are doing research on the internet, we will send you to the library to look at Funkin' Wagnalls. And we only had yep. to do that to one kid one time. And yeah, <laughs> they yeah. knew we were serious. <laughs> That's the same thing that happened with us. We had one. We have had two kids that we've had to throw the book at um, and they were almost to the point where it was, you know, on the way you go. Uh, But once they realized that that's where we can go with it, a lot of them just said, well, it's not really worth it. I'll open up my phone and do it on my phone, which technically is against our school rules, but, you know, it's still being done. And the administration says, if it's on your device, it's through your 3G, that's your business, not mine. So that's fine. Um, but I think what should be done, in addition to what our pro- uh, the policies that me and Mark use, is I think ethics should be taught early on. Some form of an ethics course. You know, Maybe it could be just as generic as Johnny doesn't steal from Jane when they go up the hill. You know, Something simple. But something enough to introduce the idea of ethics. Because I don't know about around where you were, Mark. But I think that's one of the things lacking in today's kids is a lot of them don't have... These kids today! Well, yes, a little bit. But, I, you know, there's some moral issues that I see and some ethic issues that I see all the time. And it's not just every kid. It's, you know, there's a group of kids always that I see it in. And, yeah, they were that way when I was young, too. But it seems like the larger population is becoming less moral and less, less ethical. And it, that's, it's frightening to me. I would rather see somebody with, you know, more more ethics than anything, than someone with zero ethics, in which I've seen in some people. Yeah, it's definitely character education is important, um, and I'm certainly not going to argue with that. But and you know, one of the the important things to uh, present to these these kids during their initiation phase, when they're first learning about it, is that there are real, honest ways that they can scratch their itch for learning cool stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, without breaking the rules, 
and you know there's there's things that they can really cool things they can do that are above board and that can lead to a career um but the, you know you don't have to break anything to do it and and maybe a good way to do that would be to uh, set these kids up with an account over at linuxacademy.com hey it's only 20 bucks a month you could set a kid up there and he could spend his time learning how to administer a linux server linuxacademy.com has uh step-by-step video courses how was that transition was that awesome i i just that i had to, awesome. had to throw that in there you know it's the that best way to ruin really a transition good. is to point it out but i just gotta i gotta give Damn. myself a little pat on that it one. was good <laughs> I- <laughs> so linuxacademy.com has step-by-step video courses to help beginners learn to run linux servers and prep for certification you get your own Linux lab server set up on Amazon's infrastructure. So you can do what you want with it. You can blow it away. You can make mistakes. You're not hurting anybody. It comes with downloadable PDF study guides. And, and there's over 100 training videos right now. And don't take my word for it. Go try it yourself. The first seven days is free. All you got to do is sign up. Give it a try. If you don't like it, cancel after a week. You won't be charged anything. But if you do keep it, and I think you should, for 19 bucks a week or $38 a quarter, which is basically buy two months, get a, a, a month free, uh, you get access to all those videos. And there's new stuff coming all the time, new courses available uh, for uh, the Linux Academy, including Amazon Web Services Enterprise uh, instruction on how to uh, enter to to run the Amazon Web Services Linux security, something we talk about here all the time. Uh, and you can even now buy a DVD. You don't have to to be connected online, Chris. I know that's a big deal where you were. It certainly was for me. Rural kids who aren't going to have the bandwidth yep. to stream this stuff all the time. Buy a DVD or a USB stick. Um, you can go to. Uh, linuxacademy.com and check out the pricing on that uh, and everything they take uh, they have make available including uh, virtual machine images of the servers will come to you in the good old-fashioned postal mail uh, and so you can do whatever you want right there in your own uh, environment without blowing anything up they, they have high definition videos with high quality audio and now they're mobile friendly thanks to a listener here to our show who said, hey, we w- I would like to do this. I want to watch your stuff while I work out. Can you make it mobile friendly? They're a company who listens, and we're honored to have them as uh, recurring um, uh, sponsors of the show and, and as a responsive um, business. They, they listen to what the people say. So go check them out, linuxacademy.com. Go tell them Mark sent you. And it's an awesome site. Um, I'll definitely put my my two thumbs up for them. They do an excellent job in all of their descriptive tutorials and all their class their classes. Uh, it definitely worth the money. If nothing else, to learn two new tasks for the price, it's still worth it. And there's no long term commitment. You don't have to sign up for a year or anything like that. You pay by the month, or if you want to take off a bigger chunk, you can pay by the quarter. And uh, and Anthony has, we've talked uh, a number of times, and he's he's committed to making sure that every month there's a reason to keep you around. That uh, there's new stuff, there's new tweaks on things, there's enhancements that are going to make it worth your $19 for the next month. And then he's going to add more stuff so there's worth your $19 for the next month. So go check them out, linuxacademy.com. Thanks for being a sponsor, guys. And uh, thanks, Linux, uh, uh, Everyday Linux listeners, for responding so well. Every time we do an ad, they get a response. That means they come back and do more ads. It's a good thing. So thank you guys for giving them some love, and thanks Linux, Linux Academy for giving some love to us. We do enjoy it. <laughs> and so now on to our look at Kubuntu. 
13.04. It's just Ubuntu with KDE instead of Unity. That's all there is to it. Uh, So, Chris, you let me go first last time. I'm going to let you go first this time. All right. Sounds good. Um, I start out with my my whole thing is, you know, the this is all the powers of Ubuntu, so all of your packages and support, so the the printer that was brought up earlier by Richard, that should be just built in, no problems. Uh, the first thing I did notice, though, is I did change the installer around a little bit for in comparison to the Ubuntu installer. Um, it's a nice little change. Uh, it's definitely a little different when it comes to the layout, which... I don't know. I think it looks per- more professional than the Ubuntu one, um, but I did notice that when it, once I got it installed and everything turned on, and I started attaching all my devices to it, I don't know if Mark you tried this, but I had better luck with Bluetooth in my KDE install for all of my Bluetooth devices, not just my headsets. So that was kind of interesting to see that um, for some reason the the KDE Bluetooth stack was so was that much better than. The Unity Bluetooth stack. Uh, I also did notice a a, be- a a big boost in my battery life. Almost almost an hour of extra battery life, and a lot it, of that can be once- chalked up to the less disc thrashing that uh, Unity seems to always be doing. Oh yeah, I was uh, I was shocked with how much discs th- you know disc read and writes were going on in in Unity, and then you pop in KDE, and it's almost zero. Uh, they they do especially um, with the battery life. I did notice, especially when I turned off the extra effects, uh, especially since it's a quick three key salute and you have the KDE effects turned off. You know, and then it's just a f- it it just flies. Uh, again, with the unit, the hardware support is is top notch for most of the Ubuntu stacks. One thing I do have to say, I hate. Muon or whatever the stupid thing's called. That is one of the hardest packet managers I've ever used in my life. Um, it totally breaks my opinion uh, of package management in Kubuntu. Yeah, not only is if it anything- difficult to use, it just flat doesn't work. It doesn't give you the solutions you want. Then when you finally do ferret out what you want, it's hard to install it. Yeah, and you have to... Um, it was the whole tick, or you can't even like see a, a listing of things changing. Right. It just does it. It just goes, and it's like, but what if that breaks a package? You're you're never prompted with anything once you tell it to install. It just does it. Just and trust the programmers, Chris. Just trust the programmers. Oh, I can't. I can't just trust them. But uh, once you you know, and I I put it in my, in my section of the notes that thank God for AppKit and Snaptic. Because without those two things, I don't know if I'd have been able to get through this version of KDE. Well, it has uh, the regular package manager there, so you can you've got the Ubuntu uh, Software yeah. Center. It's it's kind of buried, but it's there. Yeah, it, it, but you know, honestly, I don't like the Ubuntu package manager either. I think it's just as hard to use as Muon. Um, I AppKit and Samat and or I should say Snaptic works great. They didn't cause any issues ever, and yet they felt the need to rewrite everything. So. But that's just me. Uh, again, though, if you're not familiar with where KDE does things and how to, to manipulate the KDE settings, it's a beast to control. Uh, you have to know where every little nugget of configuration is in order to change your 
the thickness of your t- your title bars or the themes or the icons. They're so sprawled through the KDE control panel that it, it makes it very difficult. If you're a first-time user of KDE, it's overkill. You don't know what to change. You don't know what to do. And there's no real descriptive information on what, like, I still don't quite understand what um, activities are good for. I, I, I get the basic premise, but I don't see them being used in a general form. They're, they're there, and there's no documentation really. Or I shouldn't say documentation. There's no, this is why you'd want to use the the activities panels. And I think if, if, if they, somebody in the KDE community would actually sit down and go through some, you know, this is how you do this and have some tutorial videos, because I know a lot of people don't have time to sit down and read the manuals. And let's face it, nobody has the attention span to read the man pages. <laughs> it, it would make things a little bit easier. So it, all in all, once, and I, it was what I figured it would be once I stripped the, the, the Unity interface off and went straight with just KDE. That Ubuntu installer I had was just swimming. It was awesome. I, I had no problems with it. It ran my laptop ran, I would say, better. Uh, so for me, it's Kubuntu for the win, just on the performance factor alone. So I'll start with uh, with the, the at the beginning. The install the installer is prettier. Than the Ubuntu install. I don't know that it's better in any way. It's just it's got some nice pictures. It's sort of like the Bing to the Google. It's you know it's it's uh, it's prettier than uh, the uh, the other one. It did seem to install a little faster. That may have been anecdotal. I didn't stop watch it, but it just it seemed to be a little faster. Maybe it's because I was more entertained by the pictures, so it didn't seem like it was taking so long. <clears throat> Interestingly, in my initial uh, install of Ubuntu thirteen point four, my audio didn't work uh again uh before we started the show chris and i were uh we're talking about the fact that i run windows on my laptop here i have for a long time even to do this linux show the problem is that not all the drivers have worked um well kubuntu that worked so seems like it's something gnomish rather than something ubuntu ish uh, so my audio worked uh didn't have any issues it felt and and I use the word feel a lot you know it's not it's not tactile but the experience was much much more fluid and quick and responsive and I'd click a button and and the window would pop open I'd type a word at hit enter and the search box would be immediately there um <clears throat> which is what you expect right that should be normal I shouldn't even have to point that out but compared to unity where you click a button and you go have a sandwich and you come back and then the window opens you know, it is is very dramatically different between the two, but it's been a while since I used KDE. I've been a gnome guy for a long time now, and I was really taken aback by how clunky it looks. It's very Windows ninety five ish. It's 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 stunted its growth. It had too much coffee as a child, and it never moved out of the nineties. Uh, and I know there are themes you can do, and 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 you can make it better, but. This is the stock install, right? This is what the developers think you should have by default. This is where it should be. And it was just, it was clunky. Um, I just, I, it felt weird to me. It worked really well, but it just, look, it made my fast um, modern laptop seem less desirable simply because it, it had that crusty old look to it. The, 
and and some of the things that just the functioning of it weren't intuitive like you know i uh one of the things i always do on any computer <clears throat> first thing i do or among the first things is install gimp i'm a big gimp user so be it on my windows machines or my linux machines whatever uh so i kind of use that how how hard is it to find and install and customize gimp um ubuntu 13.04 uh, wasn't terribly difficult. I went to the graphics sections. It was one of the suggested things. It wasn't installed by default, but it was suggested. I clicked on it. It went. Once I got it uh, there, I clicked on the GIMP icon. I dragged it over the panel. There it was. <clears throat> In Kubuntu, I went. I loaded Muon. Could not find the GIMP. Period. I spent, I don't know, a lot of time, eight or nine minutes. Couldn't find it. I could not figure out how to install the GIMP. I went so far as to open up the web browser and go to gimp.com or dot org rather. And then I thought, wait a minute, let, let me see what else I can do. Well, that's cheating. I'm not going to do that. So then I went to the uh, control panel and there was the Ubuntu software center. I typed in gimp, boom, there it was installed, done. So then I clicked the icon. I dragged it over to the uh, panel. Nothing happened. It stared at me. So I said, all right, maybe I'll right click and add to the panel. No, it's not there. So I'm like, okay, so how do I get it there? Let me drag it over to uh, right next to the uh, the Firefox icon. It tried to open it with Firefox. No, that's not what I want to do. I just want the freaking button on the panel down there. Well, as it turns out, you have to right-click on the panel, click Add Item, then browse to the item in your Programs menu, and then add it there. Is that, yeah. a, is that a deal breaker? No. Is it 10 years behind the state of the modern desktop? Yes. So the combination of the difficulty of installing something with Muon and then the difficulty of actually getting it where I want it once I've installed it totally ruined the experience for me. And yeah. and and for that, you know, I can't recommend Kubuntu to to the grandma user, the everyday user for that reason. As much as it pains me to say, I would refer them to Unity over that because they can at least do what they want to do. It's not it's not going to be super powerful configurable like I like it. But at least you can do your stuff. And KDE, unless you have some geek cred, you can't really even do the everyday things. Yep. Well, it, I, you know, to defend one thing, I wouldn't say it's 95-ish. I would say it's 98-ish. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but not SE. Let's not go that far. No, no, no. <laughs> well, sometimes. Depending on... And, you know, that's the other thing that I find interesting. Um, I didn't check version number on the KDE version of in uh, in kubuntu but i have noticed that if a different distros spin their kde differently so like when you're in open susie some of the things that you're complaining about mark are still there but the the look of the desktop is a little more polished with the K with uh open susie's version of kde and i think that's because they customize it a little bit deeper before it comes out the door so that's another thing that, that could be partially an issue. What I found striking about all of this, though, is it really all does come down to the Windows manager. Because none of the things that we said about either of these things really reflects on Ubuntu much at all. Ubuntu is just the platform on which the Windows manager is, is resting. So Ubuntu works so well as to not really even feature in either of our discussions. So last week we whined about Unity... And this week we're complaining about no uh, about KDE, and we're not really even mentioning Ubuntu. Ubuntu just happens to be the plate on which the meal is served. 
And I think that yeah. actually sp- speaks volumes for Ubuntu. It has become so stable, so solid, so multifunctional that it disappears. And that's when a technology is powerful, when it disappears and you don't even know it's there. Yeah. When you're complaining about the desktop environment, not the underpinnings. Right. And, what, what, and you know, I don't know if you're right, Mark, if it's the fact that, you know, the KDE wasn't tearing my disk to shreds or the fact that I could actually scale my graphics, the brightness of my LED down. But I just was impressed with the fact that the battery last was chain, the battery duration was so dramatically different with zero configuration on my end. Now, as a geek, as a, a guy with, you know, years of experience tweaking OSs, um, KDE wins. It's faster. It's uh, more nimble. Uh, it's still no GNOME 2. Uh, but uh, it's it's better than Unity. But and as your I hardware said, worked. <clears throat> yeah, and, and my hardware works. <laughs> but as I said last year uh, or last week, Unity's gotten better. It's matured. It's still got a long way to go. It's not it's not mature yet. You know, KDE is the grandpa. Um, Gnome is the great grandpa, and Unity is the pimply faced, squeaky voice teen. It still hasn't come of age yet. Um, maybe someday it will, uh, but it hasn't yet. So, you know, for the geeks, um, Kubuntu is a good choice for everybody else. I'm sticking with mint. <laughs> That's my recommendation. <laughs> You're going to stick with mint, huh? Yeah. Cause it's a, it's everything I like about Ubuntu without unity. Well, okay. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. I just personally, I am really against, um, the cinnamon desktop. I, I don't know what it is I have against it, or the mate, or whatever the one they use. Is it cinnamon that they use now by default? Yes. Yeah, I, I don't know what it is about cinnamon, but I just it, every time I boot it up, it it makes me cringe. And and my, I don't know. Maybe it's my geekiness showing through, but man, something about cinnamon just drives my nerves up a wall. <laughs> so. Um- we don't have any tips of the week or a link of the week or, or a Seth's goofiness of the week. What we have this week is a challenge of the week. <laughs> Richard threw down the gauntlet and said, Chris, you have to use Unity for a month. And he said, and as fair about as, uh, turn about as fair boy, you can give me a challenge. Well, here's your challenge, Richard. Listen up. Yeah. Here you go, Richard. This is all for you. Now. I'm going to be nice. I was going to be a jerk, and I said, well, maybe I'll I'll be a, a, a nice guy and, and give you something that you can actually use. And I was going to have you use something like the Enlightenment desktop or Icewind desktop. Nice. But, you know, and I thought about it, and I thought about it. I'm like, you know, he's going to look at that, and he goes, he's going to run. He's, he's going to turn away, and he's never going to listen to the show again, and he will never, ever come back and give us questions or feedback. And you so will I drive away like I, half of our audience with just him, because only two people ever listen to the show. So I, I thought I'd be nice. The first kick is LXDE. I don't care what distro you use it based on. Honestly, if you're such a, you know, you like Ubuntu so much, go ahead and use the Ubuntu version. I love that version of LXDE. But that's the kicker. LXDE for 30 days and... Anytime you'd have to, that, you know, web browsing and such, you can use your normal graphical tools. But anything else, you must use the command line as much as possible. So that means apt get, 
That means ping. That means trace route. All the funness. And if you really start getting in there and you start figuring things out, try using, I don't know, should we say Vim or Emacs for your text <laughs> editor, Mark? Oh, Vim. It's got to be Vim. Okay. That's fine. I'm a Vim guy. Vim it is. So Vim for any text editing, command line tools as much as possible, and LXDE for 30 days. And LXDE is not a bad thing. He'll find it performs really well. It's just very Spartan. It's it's the opposite of <laughs> Unity, to say the least. Which is why I picked it. Um, I, and that's also why I was kicking around the Enlightenment desktop in Icewind. But uh, I, I figured I'll be nice. We'll see how he thinks about LXDE. And maybe we can get some uh, recorded responses from him to see what he thinks of it. <laughs> no cursing. <laughs> yes, no cursing. I dropped the bomb once. No more. The bombs are no officially banned from the show. But for uh, to share some pain, because we all know how much I'm a glutton for punishment and other things. While you're doing your LXDE 30-day challenge, I'm going to be doing a Gnome Shell challenge. Uh, I haven't figured out which distro I'm going to use yet. I was, I'm was, i hoping I can find one that's using the c- most current version of Gnome Shell. But I will run Gnome Shell for 30 days while you're running LXDE. And give the listeners a quick heads up on what Gnome Shell is. Uh, that's what uh, Gnome Shell is, Gnome 3, for, for lack of a better term. It's what Gnome 2 is replaced by. And everybody that I know more or less either dislikes it heavily or likes it heavily. It, there, I see no gray, but uh, I, I think uh, from the readings and the look at some of the issues I had with Gnome Shell the last time I did this, some of those have been fixed. So we'll see if any of them are still an issue or not. And I'm going to probably do the install sometime this week on the laptop. The desktop was done today. So as of today, it'll be Gnome Shell for 30 days. Richard says you can also pick the uh, distro as well. I'm going to exercise oh. my host privileges and jump in here and say you must use XFCE on Arch for a month. <laughs> XFCE? I thought we were doing LXDE. I'm, I'm sorry, LXDE on Arch. On Arch. Wow. I haven't tried to run Arch in forever. You know, Nightstar, you could run Night. How about Nightstar can do Gen 2 with LXDE? Go ahead and have fun <laughs> compiling all that from scratch. Oh, no wow. shortcuts. No shortcuts. Because that's how I installed Gen 2 way back when. <laughs> yeah, Gen 2 has long since been known as the hacker's distribution. If you if you want to compile your own kernel just to boot up, then that's the way you need to go. It took me three weeks to get my version of Gen 2 installed. And then two days after I had it installed, I forgot something and blew it up. Oops. Yeah, I found out. My, I found my mistake afterwards, but yeah, it was dead duck. And after that, I said, no, I'm not spending three more weeks trying to fix this thing. <laughs> I've never used Gen 2, frankly. I was too scared of it. There be dragons in Gen 2. <laughs> there be sea monsters at the end of this yeah. map. <laughs> All right, that's it. That's our show for this week. First off, thanks for listening. And how do I know you're listening? Well, 
you're listening to this. So thanks for that. You got all the way through an hour and almost a half of, of rambling, of gooeyless rambling. Seth, hurry back to us, my friend. We uh, miss you. So uh, if you have uh, comments, feedback, like Gordon and uh, Richard and Cycle Doc did, you can go to elementop.com. You can leave a comment in the forums there. Uh, there's been increasing traffic there in the forum. I like to see that. That's awesome. Uh, we also have a Google Plus community for the six people out there who are on Google Plus. Uh, you can search uh, Element OP there and find our community. <clears throat> Or you can uh, go right to the top of the elementop.com uh, webpage and click the Contact Us button. That will send an email to me, and I will then forward it on to the guys. Or if you want to skip the middleman and send it straight to the guys, uh, send an email to edl at elementop.com. Or if you want to have your own very own voice on the show, you can uh, call 559-IAMOP anywhere inside uh, the continental North American mass of land. <laughs> and Google Voice That's will let you like. leave a message uh, and, and we will play it on the air. If you're outside of the U.S., just send me an MP3 and that'll that'll count. I'll, we'll call that your, your voicemail. So we love to hear from you. And again, literally, you are the reason we do this. Uh, without you, you know, nobody would care. Chris and I would just sit back and, and sip our beverages and complain about the kids these days. And there wouldn't be any need to do a show. So thanks for listening. Thanks for being with us, Chris. As always, you were the consummate professional, the best I could find in my in your price range. Um, uh, wait a minute. That kind of hurt. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm calling it. That ends this episode of Everyday Day.